This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 517 Can the comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Wally's crisis comes to a conclusion. Dr. Manhattan tugs on Superman's cape. Leviathan is still rising, as is the year of too many events. Dial V for villain. Naomi's origin wraps up. Young Justice assembles. MST wraps up a comic run while Angel starts his. And Wither Vertigo, part 73. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, June 9th, 2019. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, and you can subscribe to your, your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Well, we're back with four weeks of comics, and we have a lot to cover, starting with Heroes in Crisis, number nine of nine, by King, Man, and Moray. The exploration of PTSD among the superhero set comes to a conclusion, and we're back to the two flashes, the Wally and the Wally from five days from now. The real Wally? Wally plus five tells his counterpart to find a flower floating in the Gotham River that needs planting just before the other is about to snap his neck. Fortunately, help arrives just in time in the form of Beetle's bug, which crashes next to them. Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, Harley, and Batgirl climb out to find a new poison ivy. This is the result of planting the flower, an ivy that is far more plant than woman and probably has a better connection to the green. Harley and new ivy embrace... Booster references his adventure in the Batman title, you know, where he made Batman go away. Back to the Wallies. The counterpart tells the original how he understands why he wants to die, because he feels he is alone and has to atone for his sins. But it's clear he is not alone, and that he can tell his story to others. You're not the only one who tried to do something good and ended up doing something horrible. This is a sentiment all of them share. But if Wally doesn't die, won't this change the time stream and cause another flashpoint? Booster explains some timey-wimey stuff to wallpaper over the whole thing, which involves speed cloning in the 25th century. When Wally says he needs to sacrifice himself, Booster says they are in this together, bros before heroes. Then Harley comes up and knees Wally in the groin. Wally is sent to prison for his attack. Throughout all this, we see a host of heroes giving their story at Sanctuary, now a publicly known place where heroes with issues can get help. The various Robins refer to how the others have their place, but what the hell am I? There are many references to original DC continuity, where DC is clearly heading. I doubt this is the last we will hear of both Sanctuary and Wally. Doomsday Clock, number 10 of 12 by Johns, Frank, and Anderson. After a long slog through interminable subplots and issue delays, we're finally getting to the heart of the story. As before, Johns continues to mine incredibly obscure DC history tying Dr. Manhattan to Nathaniel Dusk, a P.I. from a long-forgotten 80s miniseries, but it's not the connection we've surmised. 
Dusk is the lead in a series of mid-century film noirs on Earth Zero and played by Carver Coleman, an actor who seemed to come out of nowhere to become an Oscar-winning star. We've assumed this is Manhattan in disguise, but no, he's just a guy that Manhattan was drawn to in April 1938, which happens to be the month that Action Number 1 was shipped. He befriends Coleman, visiting him each year at a diner. Manhattan gives him info which allows Coleman to steer his fate. Why? Because Manhattan's vision of future and past in this world are murky unless he's with him. We're in 1938, and Manhattan hears a radio report about a man who lifted a car over his head to stop some bad guys. Manhattan appears and makes the man and the car disappear, so no Superman. Cut to 1940 and the first meeting of the JSA. They are waiting for Superman. Things shift, and they're no longer waiting. Back to 1956, and a rocket landing in Smallville where the Kents find a baby, the Silver Age origin point. Cut to 1986, and a teenage Clark is shown the rocket, the John Byrne Man of Steel origin point. Back to 1949, where Clark sees his parents pass away, but they're still alive in 1986. Cut to the 31st century, and the classic shot of Superboy in front of the yes-no panel of LSH judges. It becomes clear to Manhattan that Superman is the linchpin of it all. Forces such as the anti-monitor and extant have been responsible for ships in Superman's timeline. Dark directions seem to constantly target the hope he embodies in an effort to redefine him. So Manhattan decides to meddle in things himself, stopping Golden Age heroes from meeting their origins and stopping the Legion from ever forming. Then changing Clark's origin so that his parents are killed in an auto crash the night of Clark's high school prom, which is the new 52 origin. This makes a Superman is more distant from humanity, more like Manhattan. But somehow, the universe fights back with Rebirth and the return of Wally West. Just as Superman is the linchpin of this universe, this universe is the heart of the entire multiverse, altering all others when it changes. This is now the Metaverse. At one point, we cut to Manhattan instantaneously disabling all the heroes on Mars. But it's all prelude to the only history Manhattan can see now, Superman's fist about to connect with him. Cut to a page of panels showing how Manhattan could have stopped the tragedies in Watchmen, but didn't. He now realizes that, in this new universe of hope, he has become the villain. Oh, and Coleman is later murdered, and his sordid past never comes to light. Phew, that's a lot of world building in a single story, spanning the golden, silver, bronze, and modern ages. I still don't think it needed nine other issues to get to this point, though. And a year and a half. <laughs> Superman, Leviathan Rising, number one, by Bendis, Rucka, Fraction, and Draco, Paquette, Perkins, Lieber, Panseca, Piera, Fairburn, Mounts, and Placencia. A square-bound tome setting up this summer's crossover event. We begin with a woman perusing books at a shop. One is the Reflections book that Diana wrote way back in the 80s, and the other is a coffee table book with a picture of the JLA fighting Starro. More of DC resetting things. There's also a display for a Jimmy Olsen book. Olsen, my life in the infinite metropolis. A strange man accosts her using Spiral's face-masking tech. Is this woman Amanda Waller? Mark and I are kind of disagreeing on whether this might be the case. In any case, the man is there to find out if she might know about any ways to get rid of him, meaning Superman. She tells him that trying to stop him by force is useless. It must be a psychological ploy. Cut to the Daily Planet, where Perry is berating reporter Robinson Good for not being Lois Lane. Clark sees an issue and slips away. 
Cut to a fight with Mongol. A partial sign says Port Oswego. Is this Port Oswego and the fight that kicks off the Naomi title? Back to maybe Waller, who explains how to trap Superman. Kidnap Clark Kent. Superman sees that people in his apartment and confers with Lois. He decides to let them kidnap him for the story, and they do. He wakes up tied up in front of Talia Ghul. Her plan is to have Superman save Clark, who now has a kryptonite vest on. Back to Lois, who's starting to get worried. Jimmy texts her, can I have $10,000? Lois goes to Clark's apartment and breaks out a signaling device hidden inside a container of ice cream, which brings the Trinity running. Cut to a bizarre Jimmy Olsen story about getting married to an alien in Gorilla City and winding up with a very strong feral cat, which turns out to be Red Lantern Dexstar. You know, he does barf a ton of blood. And that's why he needs to borrow the $10,000. Cut to Supergirl, now back on Earth. She's been in outer space for months in her title to find her apartment destroyed. There's a storyline here that probably makes sense if you were reading her title. It ends with Kara finding a message in the rubble telling her about Leviathan as Kate Spencer, a.k.a. Manhunter, skulks away. Back to Clark, who's in a lot of trouble. An armored figure pops in, helps him back into his chair, and removes the kryptonite vest, telling him he's sorry for the inconvenience before popping out. He's almost broken his bonds when in pops Firestorm, Lois, wearing Talia's outfit, Jimmy, wearing a gorilla costume, and Dexter. Clark suits up just in time to miss a flying ship that that escapes with the guy in armor and Talia. The two have a conversation on the ship. He tells her that all the heroes, once they learn the truth, will join them. He then pushes her out of the ship. Superman has tracked them down and catches her. Back to the Metropolis, where the guy with the action number one green sedan as a museum piece talks to who might be Waller. She takes him out via the Red Cloud, a.k.a. Robinson Good. Robinson is told to use the Daily Planet's resources to answer the question, who is Leviathan? Clark and Lois are already going down that route. A rather wacky story from Bendis, which leaves so many threads open. And tells us that there's going to be a Jimmy Olsen comic. Yay! Yay! Justice League number 25 by Snyder, Tinian IV, Jimenez, Fernandez, Sanchez, and Hi-Fi. Yet another event, the Year of the Villain, has its prelude here. Here's where we are. Superman is trapped in a universe without light. The League is fighting future versions of themselves. The World Forger has gotten Batman on his side and given him the tools to change reality. Bruce begs the Forger to let him try one last time to get the League on their side before forcing the issue. Clark is having hallucinations as he dies in space, one of which are lights. Turns out Bruce was playing the Forger, using the new power to give Clark a chance. Clark proceeds to fly through a group of suns, super-duper charging him. He flies out of his prison and blasts Forger, then asks him to consider another option. Join them as a jail member to stop Perpetua from destroying reality. They return to their Earth, where the Legion of Doom, specifically Lex, saved the world from Mixplick. He's now poisoned the world against the League and offers the villains his tech to bring Doom once and for all, liquidating LexCorp. As we previously saw, he then killed himself to avoid capture. What's the plan now? Forger says to find the Monitor and the Anti-Monitor. Starman says to collect heroes from the multiverse. Diana says to bring all heroes into the League. And Batman says all of this must be done. Cut to the Legion of Doom ship where Brainiac has cloned Lex, of course. He tells Brainy to launch the drones, which will find villains and give them his offer. Well, all of these events have taken a while to discuss, and with several comics to go, I am activating 
the lightning round. Dial H for Hero number three from Wonder Comics by Humphreys, Quinone, Steen, and Gibson. We get a flashback to our first view of Robbie Reed, the Silver Age star of Dial H. Meanwhile, Miguel and Summer try to get the attention of a hero by committing minor crimes. We get appearances from new Dial H heroes, the Bluebird of Happiness, a black orchid pastiche, and Lolo Kick You, a punk rocker with a jetpack. The two heroes duke it out, and Lolo, aka Summer, wins, then commandeers the food truck and Miguel to go to Detroit to contact Superman, presumably via Justice League Detroit. Cut to Mr. Thunderbolt, who is, of course, Robbie Reed. Suck a McGee! Naomi number five from Wonder Comics by Bendis, Walker, and Campbell. Naomi confides the big secret to her friend, and we learn where her mom came from, another Earth. During the crisis, that Earth's protective layers collapse, pouring radiation onto the surface. 29 random people got godlike powers and began fighting one another. In the end, one of them took over half the planet and forced the others to become kings and queens over their sections. She and her husband were two of those people. They had Naomi, and when the bad guy learned of it, they were forced to send her away. Now, since she's plugged in with her own powers, the bad guy has found her. Young Justice number 6 from Wonder Comics by Bendis, Timms, and L-Tab. We wrap up the Gem World storyline. Superboy is not a husband and father. He just posed as that to save an unmarried woman after a Star Labs accident sent him there. Teen Lantern found a way to hack a Green Lantern and just wants an internship at the Hall of Justice. Ginny Hex has artifacts from her great-grandpap that they marveled over but we don't see. Amethyst goes into a long description of how they must defeat Lord Onyx only to have Impulse just go and do it, grabbing his prime gem. The team meets with the Gem Council, and they are sent back to Earth. Or were they? Mystery Science Theater 3000, the comic number 6 of 6 from Dark Horse by Hodgson, Buchholz, McGinnis, Robinson, Volk, Robinson, and Nock. The final uh, issue of this weird series as the various storylines are finished up. Black Cat catches her man, Tom Servo, team reporter, turns in his story, Crow the Crypt Keeper tells a final tale all before the green bubbles return. Kinga has a new invention, the Totina's Pizza Rolcano, which he uses to end Crow's story. Jonah and the bots are sent back to the SOL, and they read the comic they were just in. The only problem, Dark Crow survived. You know you want me, baby. Supremely silly. Angel number one from Boom Studios by Hill, Melnikoff, and Quesada. After a preview in the Free Comic Book Day book, We begin the series in earnest. The first half tells a tale of Angel's past as a dark knight, not that one, who kills and then gives a female fighter the gift of immortality. Cut to modern-day Sunnydale, where Angel has now arrived. He checks in with Francis, a boy he once saved, now a man. Then at his new spooky home, Lilith drops by with some info. A phone app is possessing teenagers, forcing them to commit suicide. This seems to be a trope now. Lilith tells Angel to avenge them. We did want to talk about Vertigo for a moment. Bleeding Cool dropped a story this week that the vaunted imprint is going away, confirmed by multiple unnamed sources. Bleeding Cool is rarely wrong about these kinds of things. Reportedly, some books will be shuttered, others will move to Black Label or Young Animal, contracts for upcoming titles are being canceled. As it is, reprint editions of their major works like Sandman and Why the Last Man have already moved over to Black Label. So why is this happening, assuming it is? Vertigo is a money loser for DC, with single issues selling far below the break-even point. 
Vertigo has always been about the trades, but even that has fallen off. This comes from decisions by WB to move away from creator-owned contracts, which was the bread and butter of Vertigo. This meant high-level creators abandoned the imprint. It didn't help that longtime editors were summarily let go, which further scared away good creatives. Add to this, the Bordertown fiasco, where the writer was found saying unsavory stuff on Twitter and the premature end of that title. The Second Coming fiasco, where WB and DC got cold feet about the religious storyline. It's not like it was a secret. Sending the title to another publisher. The increased scrutiny over artwork and storylines post-Black Label's Batchlong has made an upcoming title, Safe Sex, questionable moving forward. It all adds up to Vertigo no longer being worth the trouble in terms of publicity for a multinational corporation like AT&T WarnerMedia, where the proceeds are so meager. We will see at San Diego Comic-Con where a new major Vertigo push was to be announced. All right, it's time for America's fastest growing new game show. Who's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly? Oh, wait a minute. We have some breaking news. EW is about to become EM. With the magazine market in freefall, Entertainment Weekly will switch to monthly format this summer. This leaves us in a lurch. So we're making plans now to continue America's fastest growing new game show. And back to the game. Okay, Mark. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, go. Uh, TV related? Yes. Is well, it, sort of. Is it one show on the cover? Um, the one person on one the One person on the cover. Is that person related to a single show? Um, not really. So are they an actor? No. Uh, so are they a producer? No. Are they a writer? No. Are they not related with scripted programming? Yes. Are, is this is this a news person? Yes, a news person. And um, is this person on a broadcast network? No, no. Hmm. Somebody on like okay, somebody on CNN. Uh, you know what? I forgot to see what network. Oh, well, that's going to make it a lot harder. I think it's CNN. <laughs> okay. Um, is it a man? Yes. Um, Anderson Cooper? Yes! <laughs> See? That wasn't hard at all. And he's not actually related to his um, TV appearances. It's an LGBTQ issue. Ooh, okay. So. All right. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.